All right, 2 Kings chapter 4, and let's take a look here in 2 Kings chapter 4. Not going to read a whole lot, just got one verse that I really want to point out to you. We'll use this as a springboard to preach this morning. 2 Kings chapter 4, look in verse 8. The Bible says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where it was a great woman, and she constrained them to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, a table, and a stool, and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when... He had called her, she stood before him, and he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for the, to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And that's how I feel this morning. I dwell among my own people. So here's what I'm going to preach to you this morning about. I'm going to preach to you about the sins of southerners. Because I was one of you. And so let's, let's preach this morning. Lord, we thank you, God. Lord, I, I pray that you'd help me. God, give me some wisdom this morning. God, it's been a good day already, Lord. We thank you for it. Thank you, God, for the soul that's been saved this morning. And God, I pray that you'd work among your people and help me, God, Lord, to preach as I ought to. And I pray that you'd help these to listen. God, I pray that you'd feed their souls and help them, Lord. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This lady did a lot of great things, her and her husband. She did great things for the prophet Elisha. And Elisha came to her. Elisha was not a fellow that uh, kind of sat in the background. He really knew a lot of fellow. He knew a lot of people. He knew a lot of politicians. He knew kings. And that's the office of a prophet. He often deals with kings. And so when she did him this kindness, he said, Hey, what do you want me to do for you? And she, he said, you want me to go talk to the king on your behalf? You want me to talk to the captain of the host on your behalf? And she said, no. She said, I'm fine right where I am. She said, I'm just satisfied living right where I am. Don't need a bigger house. I don't need to know anybody else somewhere else. She said, I dwell among my own people. And that's how I feel. Uh, I was born and raised here. Just give you, not that I'm preaching about myself this morning, but I was born and raised right here in Folkestone, Georgia. I uh, stayed here until I was about 12 years old, and then my family moved north. We went to Virginia, and uh, everybody insists that Virginia is still in the south, but I'm sure George Washington and Thomas Jefferson would have a hard time with me saying this, but I just don't feel like it's the south. It just seems a little bit too much like the north to me, but that's where we were, and then a couple of years later, we went to Delaware, stayed there for several years, and then I came back through some providential dealings of the Lord. No doubt God orchestrated me to get back here, but here I is. And I just, to be honest with you, I like living here in the South. I just, I really enjoy it. That's not what I'm trying to preach about this morning, but I'm trying to set you up a little bit this morning. I enjoy living in the South. You know what I enjoy about the South? You know what I enjoy about Southern people? The laid back attitude. I just, I really enjoy it. I you get up, at, of course, you get here in the south and you get into the city and it's not so laid back. You get into the city and, man, it's all a rat race. And that's largely how it is just about everywhere you go. Up north, man, the north is so built up, so much industry. It's just stuff going on all the time. But you get down here in the country. Uh, how, many, how many of y'all have ever got behind somebody driving down here in the south, behind somebody that goes about 15 miles an hour under the speed limit? How many of y'all have ever... 
That's me. I'm the guy that when you pull out on the highway and uh, you're trying to go 65 in a 60, I'm the guy that's probably going 45 or 48. That guy that you're cussing, you great Christians, you know, you're flipping the one-finger salute and trying to get in, get out of the way. That's me. I'm that guy. My, my wife and I, we sometimes ride together going home from the church or we go up to town and go back. And when, when I get back here on Gibson Post, uh, I just take my time. It's a beautiful drive back through that area. I just, I enjoy it. I, I take it easy. And it drives her nuts. She wants to go 55 in a 55. She just, she don't cuss me out, but I believe she misses a good opportunity. If you'd write the cuss words down on a piece of paper, she'd sign her name to it. She likes, likes, let's go. Let's, and the thing that bothers her the most is all those people that are piled up behind me. And the way I look at it is there's dots on the line, on the road for a reason. Zoom out and pass me, man. I mean, people are going to tailgate you even if you go in 70 miles an hour. So you tailgate closer. I, that's a good excuse for me to just slow down. Amen. So I, you say, why, why do you do things that way? I just like the laid back way here in the South. But I'll tell you something about that attitude. That's the greatest curse of a bunch of Southerners. Yes, sir. That laid back attitude, don't get excited about nothing. Just take it easy. We'll worry about it tomorrow. I'm already hitting all my points, but that's a curse. That's a curse. It, it can be a great blessing in dealing with people. It can be a great blessing as far as being able to roll with things. But boy, when it comes to spiritual things, that, that laid back attitude, that's damning a lot of Southerners. Could, could be destroying a lot of you folks' life right in here. God trying to do something. God trying to get you excited about something. God trying to get you stirred up about something. And he's, well, you know, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. It'll destroy your life. It'll just tear you, tear you all apart. Let me, let me say, first of all, uh, the sins of Southerners, number one, indifference. Just indifference. Don't, I, not, not really mad about it. I'm not really happy about it. I'm just kind of right in the middle, just neutral. Oh, you'll find that right in the book of Revelation. God said, because you wasn't hot nor cold, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. That's Christians that make God sick. Because that's people in the church, by the way. Just make, make God sick. God can't put up with Christians that won't decide which, which side of the fence to get on. And in that thing, he's not talking about getting, getting right or getting wrong. He's talking about getting right. But God is just like you. He likes his cold things cold and he likes his hot things hot. But boy, you can't, you can't get some Christians to move for nothing. And it's not because they're being rebels per se. They're just indifferent. Uh, one of the things that blows me away is we get out on the streets with me and Brother Skyler and some of these boys got out here. We got on the street on Friday night about 6.30. Just held up some signs. I didn't preach. We, none of the boys preached. Brother Skyler didn't preach. We just got out there and stood on the side of the highway and just held up some signs. Got that big sign that we put out there last Sunday and just held it out there. Got out in front of Brother Spike's new store out there. I was going to go there anyway and then I got there and thought, oh man, I probably should have asked Brother Spike. Nah. <laughs> we got out there. Sorry, Brother Spike. <laughs> but got out there and held out some sight. And man, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised at the amount of folks that'll sit there and honk their horn and wave. Yeah, praise the Lord. But there ain't never one of them going to get out on the streets and do anything. 
A lot of folks, when the church begins to get moving and God begins to move and God starts to convict folks and boy, folks start looking around and saying, man, what can I do for the Lord in my little area where I'm at? What can I do for God? And man, people start doing things, just trying to get creative and just trying to figure out, hey, what can I do to be a blessing to Jesus Christ? And a lot of folks will sit there and they'll cheer you on and they'll say amen and they'll support you. They'll put money in the plate, which if you put money in the plate, keep going. We'll spend it. We'll spend it for the cause of Jesus Christ. We'll spend it to get the gospel out. And it's like what Brother Stalker said. I, I really appreciate this, the little saying that he said. He said, everybody can't do everything, but everybody can do something. But some folks are just satisfied with not doing anything. And they're not doing it to be rebels. They're not doing it to be rebels. Some folks probably are, but I don't believe that's the case with everybody. Some folks are just doing it just because, eh. It's just not a big deal. They're just indifferent about it. Just cold. They're neutral. Unconcerned. Unconcerned. No sense of urgency. You remember the day when the Lord showed you that you was a sinner? How many of y'all remember that? I remember it clear as day. I don't remember everything that was going through my mind, but I remember where I was at. Right out there in that field. That was the day that God dealt with my heart and said, You are on your way to hell. You remember that day when God dealt with you about that? You remember that sense of urgency that was down in your heart? Where did that go? You had it then, but you don't have it now? Listen, that's the, that fact means that you are not closer to the Lord now than you were then. You may have grown, praise the Lord. You may be closer to the Lord in some other areas, but where is that thing that you're missing? Where, where is that thing? Where is that concern? Where is that awareness of, hey, man, there's coming a day when all of this is going to be over. Uh, Luke Carson got saved this morning. We got pretty excited about that. That's a great blessing. That's a great blessing. Do you realize that there's going to come a day where that's going to be more real to you than anything else that you've got going on? The two fellas, that, the two families that got a, the biggest blessing out of that, I believe, for good reason, is his, his uh, mama and daddy and grandma and grandpa. I believe that that's for good reason. But do you realize, the rest of you Christians that are in here, and I'm not trying to rebuke you for not losing your mind and swinging from the chandeliers, but what I'm trying to tell you is that do you realize that there is going to come a day where that is going to be more real to you than anything that you've got going on right now? Whatever sorrow, whatever heartache, whatever stuff that you've got planned for today or tomorrow... All of that stuff is going to be pushed out the window. It's all going to go away. Your business plans, the plans that you have to build your house or expand your house, the plans that you have to uh, get a new vehicle, all of that stuff is going to be gone. The only thing that's going to be left, the only thing that you're taking from this life to the next is the folks that you've seen saved. That's it. The only thing that you're taking from this life to the next is what you did for Jesus. And buddy, I'm telling you, a lot of Christians, I dare say most Christians that are around today ain't taking nothing with them. Because they just ain't done nothing. Satisfied. Smugly satisfied with just sitting on the church pew, never opening their mouth to anybody about Jesus Christ, never opening their mouth about what we can do to improve people's bad doctrine. You know, there's a lot of folks that are just jacked up. I mean, just absolutely messed up in their doctrine. And some of you folks, you don't know. Listen to me. Please listen to me. You don't know everything that you should know, but you know more than they do. You sit, you sit in your chair, you sit in your chair this morning and you think to yourself, man, I really, I've been saved for 
You fill in the blank, however long it is that you've been saved. You say, man, I really don't know what I should know. That's probably true. But you know more than those folks out there. Are you using what you got? The curse, the curse of the church of today, the curse, these little southern churches. I love the south. I'm one of them. But our curse is just indifferent, just unconcerned. It's, it's, It's not a big deal. You think because people think, people think here in the South because we come to church and we sit on the pew and we agree with the preacher and we don't give the preacher no problems. We think that, hey, we've done our responsibility. No, no, that's just beginning. That's just, and it's a good beginning. Keep faithful at it. Keep coming. Keep getting your gun recharged. Keep getting the ammo that you need. But that is just the beginning. Just a little bit indifferent. Just, you know, it's not all that big of a deal. It's a big deal. It's a real big deal. Indifference. You indifferent this morning? You're a little bit cold? You're a little bit cold? You might be. Uh, the Bible says, because an iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Things not as warm as they used to be when you first got saved. I know, man. I know with all my heart. I know with all of my heart that everybody does not react to things the same way that other folks do. I know that some folks, when they get excited in a church service or when they even get excited out, outside, and not everybody stands on their feet and shouts, and not everybody stands up and screams, and not everybody does. Not everybody acts the same way. But you know how you carry on when you get excited about something. And you know what it's like when your heart gets warmed about something, and you also know what it's like when your heart gets icy cold. Let me ask you something. Those folks that you're thinking about this morning and, man, this person needs to be saved. This person needs to get right with God. How many tears have you shed over them? How many tears have you shed over them? Have you prayed for them at all? You say, well, I'm just not much of a crier. To be honest with you, the, the amount of times that I cry during prayer is not often. Every once in a while, the Lord really get a hold of my heart and I'll, I'll shed some tears. But boy, I don't ever want it to be said that somebody didn't get right with the Lord or somebody didn't get saved because I was just unconcerned about them in prayer. You know why you lose interest in your prayer? Why it's a grand possibility I should say that you lose interest in your prayer? Because all your prayers are around you. They're centered around you. Why don't you start praying about somebody else's need? Brother Spike made that comment this, this Sunday morning in Sunday school, and I believe it was last Sunday. He said, as soon as you think about somebody, pray for them. Well, I, you know, that's, that'll help you. It'll help them. But boy, it'll help you. It'll help you with a lot of things. It'll help you have a warm heart towards one another. It'll help you not to backbite and bicker with one another. It'll keep, it'll keep those affections between one another warm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Just indifferent. Somebody go through some problems. Somebody in the church have some issues and just not affected by it at all. Man, that's not a good situation to be in. Well, you know, it's just this is my family. We, I, I say that thing. I heard Brother Mike say it. I repeat it because I believe it's right. A lot of folks in the news media tries to make you concerned about things that are going on over in California. Most of you folks... Uh, matter of fact, all of the folks that probably know somebody in California ain't even here this morning. Brother Mike and Sister Diane traveling up to Asheville, North Carolina, and Heidi's back in the nursery. She's probably listening to me, getting ready to bite my head off when I get home. That's right, I'll put her in her place when we get home. But uh, you don't know nobody in California. And so 
talk about, some of you might, but just talking about the fact that you get spun up over things. But I'm telling you, man, some of us, some of us hear things going on with folks around here, just unmoved about it. I hope that's not the case, boy. Better, it better not be the case. That's not right. That's not the right attitude to have. Just indifferent, 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 indifferent towards the truth, indifferent towards your fellow believers, your fellow Christians here in the church, indifferent towards your falling apart family. That's a bad situation. You know, you, you as a Christian, I'm trying to get on to my next point. I really am. But this stuff just keeps coming down out of the heavens like manna. You know, some of you folks, you, you Christians sitting in here this morning, it's a great blessing. But you're supposed to be the salt of the earth. You're supposed to be salty Christians. You know what salt does when you pour it on an open wound? It doesn't make you want to shout. It burns. Burn. You know what some of you folks are supposed to be doing? I'm not talking about being a jerk, but you know what some of you folks are supposed to be doing to your family that's falling apart? You're supposed to be that salt of the earth that, boy, every time you open your mouth, there's just something kind, polite, but, boy, what's being said, man, just sits in there crawling, just, man, God uses that thing to just... That's what you're supposed to be, unless you're indifferent about it. Unless you're indifferent about it. You know what another sin, sin of Southerners is? Procrastination. I'll take care of it tomorrow. This is probably the part of the sermon that I appreciate the least. I'll take care of it tomorrow. Boy, Ezra has been on me. I've been telling Ezra wherever he is. Ezra's been on me. I got this garden over here and we got these cucumbers growing. And I got the ones that grow on a trellis or they grow on some kind of... So I've been looking for uh, some cattle fencing. I had to go over to Tractor Supply yesterday. But I've been saying, boy, we need to get a fence and put that on. I've been saying that for a month. A month. It might not be that long, but it, I, I feel like it's been a year. And every time we go out, we water that garden every morning, every morning that we don't forget about it, which is not too many mornings. But every morning we go out there, Ezra's been asking me, Daddy, when are we going to get a fence for this garden? You know what comes out of my mouth? Something along the lines of, yeah, we need to get a fence for the garden. You know, that's what a lot of Southerners sit in church, and that's what they do their whole life. They sit in church. You need to start reading your Bible. Yeah, I know. I need to start reading my Bible. You need to start developing a prayer life. Yeah, yeah, I know. I need to start developing a prayer life. Standing right out here in the, in the driveway, this driveway over here, uh, I believe it was Friday, and there's a fellow walking the property. And that always makes me nervous around here, especially after somebody tried to burn the building down. So I just, I got a gospel track and started walking over there to go talk to him. And a polite fella, and I started talking to him, and I said, uh, I said, I said, hey, I said, uh, you okay? He said, yeah. He said, I'm just waiting on my wife to come over here. He said, I'm looking for airheads. And he started talking about looking for uh, Indian, American Indian artifacts out over here. And so I, I talked to him for a little while. I said, you ever been saved? He said, yeah. Yeah, I've been saved. I got saved right over here at Camp Pickney Baptist Church under Brother Tom. I said, Tom Murphy? He said, yeah. He said, I got saved. I know I'm saved. He said, I know I'm on my way to heaven. I said, you in church? No. No, I'm not in church. And I didn't have to say nothing else. You know what came out out of his mouth after that? I know I need to be. Not in church. I know I need to be. He said, I know the end times are coming. God's already in there beginning to turn things in his mind. You know what's going on? I'll take care of it tomorrow. Yeah, I got to get in church. I'll do it tomorrow. 
Yeah, I know, I know. I got I to gotta start witnessing to people. I got to start opening my mouth. I, I'll start tomorrow. You know how you're going to fight that? Stop what you're doing right there if you can. Stop right there. Wherever you're at, when you say, I'm going to do it tomorrow, stop right there and go do it right now. You know who you're fighting against? You're not fighting against the devil, sucker. You're fighting against you. It's your flesh. Whether it's laziness or maybe bashfulness or maybe you're just a little bit shined backwards, do not try to explain anything to me about being shined backwards. I know all about it. I could teach a lecture on being shy and bashful. You've got to get over that if you're going to serve the Lord. You really are. You, you know, boy, one of the things that God's dealt with me about the most, I believe, in the past several months is that the ministry is not about a preacher preaching to a building. It's about a preacher preaching to people. You know what the ministry involves for you folks? And involves other people. I just, I like to stay to myself. Well, you're going to have a hard time serving the Lord. You really are going to have a hard time serving the Lord. You can only grow so much if you don't find a place to put out. And you can find them. You can find them. There's a world out there for you. There's a world out there for you. Some of you folks know folks that I have, I've never met in my life, probably never will meet. Some of you folks are related to folks that I don't, I don't even know them. You're related to people. And some of y'all have been telling me about, hey, I'm trying to get a hold of my family. I'm going to talk to my family and trying to call this one and trying to call that one. You say, what is that? That's the salt of the earth. That's not putting things off until tomorrow. You know what will destroy this church? You know what will destroy this building? You know what will destroy this building? Let me put it that way first. You know what will make the roof in, the, on, in this building fall in? Just don't do anything. We'll take care of it tomorrow. We'll get this taken care of tomorrow. We'll do this tomorrow. And it's the same thing that will destroy the people in the church. We'll, we'll, we'll do that, but we'll do it tomorrow. It'll destroy you as an individual. We'll do that, but we'll do it tomorrow. Just a little bit of procrastination. You know what got King Agrippa... You know what sent King Agrippa to hell? It wasn't that he told Paul, no, I'm not going to get saved. He said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Just that far away. There sat that old king on that throne listening to Paul give his explanation of how it was that Jesus Christ knocked him off his beast of burden on the road on the way down to Damascus. And King Agrippa sat there and Paul looked him in the face and said, I know, you go back and look at it in the book of Acts. He said, I know, you know about all this stuff that's been taking place among the Jews. He's a Roman ruler. The Jews were under the dominion of Rome at that time. Don't you know that that old politician knows what's going on among the citizens of his country? Paul looked him in the face and he said, I know that you know that this stuff is not done in a corner. He said, this stuff's been done plainly and out in the open. And that's when King Agrippa sat there and said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You know, if he never pulled the trigger on that thing, he died in his sins and he, he's burning in hell right now and he'd never, never get any relief. Well, most of you folks, as far as I can tell, you sitting in here and you saved this morning, you know what you're saying? Almost. I'm almost there. 
And you know what, you know what you're going to do? You're going to keep sitting on the church pew for the rest of your life, never doing anything for the Lord. You say, well, Brother Nathan, I'm trying to do something for the Lord. God bless you. I hope the Lord bless what you're doing. Just almost, almost. It's just procrastination. Somebody said, why do today what can be successfully put off until tomorrow? That's how a lot of Southerners feel. That's how a lot of Christians feel. Not, not a big deal today. You know what? Boy, this is a great sermon, ain't it? <laughs> you know what else is one of the sins of Southerners? This is not all the sins of Southerners, but this is what applies to us, I believe, with all of my heart. You know what else applies to the sins of Southerners? It's false, a false sense of security. A false sense of security. It'll be all right. Whenever I hear somebody say that, I just almost out of spite, I just want to say, no, it ain't. Your world's fixing to crash and burn tomorrow. Well, that's not very nice. Bible says when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction is going to come upon them. Bible says over in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32, the Bible said that God has set those people in slippery places. Got one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel. And boy, they'd sit there and they think, man, my footing's so sure and everything's going to turn out just right. And you don't know what's waiting for you around the corner. False sense of security. David said, David, the prophet, David, the king, he said, there's but a step. One step. There's but a step between me and death. God forbid. God forbid. But this is a reality. God forbid. I pray that this does not happen. I pray it don't ever happen. I hope y'all live forever. I hope the Lord comes back for before anybody in this church dies. Really, really. Let's pray that the Lord will come back today. Y'all, y'all going to need it. It sounds like y'all deep under conviction. But nonetheless, hey, nonetheless, you know, there, there is not a promise for never one of you to drive out of this place, to drive out of this place today. And on the way to wherever business you're going to conduct, Run into a train, run into another vehicle, run into a tree, lose control. It was just a couple of months ago, maybe last year, Brother Curtis and Miss Stephanie left this, left this place just from a normal, average Sunday morning service. Get down there, somebody pulls out in front of them in a golf cart. Flip the truck. Thank God they're still here. But you realize how bad that could have been? Well, I tell you, when the adrenaline slows down, I got out there, and boy, when the adrenaline slows down, I drove home, boy, crying, thinking about that thing. Just that close. That close. There's but a step between me and death. You know what you got? You know what a lot of you folks sitting in here this morning got? You had a false sense of security. It'll be all right. You know what the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3? I believe it was 2 Peter chapter 3. He, they, the, the Bible said in the last days there's going to be scoffers that are going to come and say, where's the promise of his appearing? Y'all, you, you crazy people have been preaching and saying that the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming. He ain't coming. And they, what they say, what they use as proof that the Lord ain't coming is that, hey, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation which is not true. There was beginning of the creation. And then you get around Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9, and there was a cataclysmic event where God rocked this world with a bunch of water. Yes, sir. You say, what is that? That's a bunch of scoffers sitting around with a false sense of security. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be fine. No, it's not going to be all right. Some of you folks are a little bit cold, maybe. I, I hope not, man. We ain't too far removed from revival. This is, a, this is one of those preventative 
measures message, like an old shot, just going to inject you full and maybe just try and shake you out of maybe that apathy that's beginning to set on you. You get out and you do the things, the routine things of this life, that things that have to be taken care of, and you just begin to think more about carnal things than you do spiritual things. And it ain't very long before you just begin to get apathetic. What you don't realize is that at any moment, God call your name and you're gone. You're out. You're gone. Let me ask you something. You parents that are sitting in here this morning, you got your kids raised to the point of where you want them raised? However old they are, I got a girl that's eight. That was my guess. I got a boy that's seven, right? Okay, make sure I'm right. And I got another boy I think that's four. You know what? At any moment, God forbid, God be merciful to me. But at any moment, God call my name, I'd be gone. You know, what I would, you know what I hope that would be your endeavor if that was your case? I hope that you would have those kids where they need to be at the age of where they're at. I hope that's the best eight-year-old girl that I could have done in the short eight years I was around. You say, what you got? You say, what's going on with a lot of Christians? A false sense of security. You think because things are the way that they are right now, this is just the way that they're always going to be. And you just don't know. You better get moving. Them little babies that you got, you better start instilling in them right now. Scripture. You better start getting down on your knees and praying with them now and teaching them how to deal with God. You know why a lot of kids don't come to altars? It's because their mamas and daddies never come to altars. You know why a lot of kids don't ever pray? It's because they don't know how to pray. They do not know how to pray. I can't tell you how many kids I've dealt with trying to talk to them about being saved and say, you want to ask the Lord to save you right now? Understand that they're sinners. Understand that Jesus Christ died for them. You get them to the brink of where, hey, you want to ask the Lord to save you right now? Well, why not? I don't know how to pray. That's something. Kids from Christians' homes. I could understand maybe a bus kid. I could understand a kid coming from Dixie Lake. Kids raised in a Baptist church, a Bible-believing Baptist church. I don't know how to pray. Uh, Matthew Mooberry, missionary down there to Brazil, I think is where he's at. And he's on the mission field, praise the Lord. I really enjoyed him coming. He came through a couple of months ago. That boy was raised in a Christian home. His daddy was a preacher. His daddy was a preacher. You know, he said, I forget how old he was but when he got saved, but he wasn't a kid. He was somewhere in his older teenage years. He said, I never had my parents sit down with me and take a Bible and show me how to be saved. He said, I never heard my daddy ever tell anybody how to be saved. Never. He said, I never heard my mama ever talk to anybody about Jesus Christ. Never. And you're going to leave your kids. God forbid it happened, but man, you're going to leave your kids in that kind of shape? You leave this world. We got mamas and daddies checking out at 70 and 80 years old now. That's, that, I mean, you just, your time's just up. But man, they're leaving behind 50 and 60 year old kids who have no idea, still, yet, at 50 and 60 years old, have no idea how to live in this world. False sense of security. Here you've got that old, you've got that old fella in Luke chapter 12. He was a rich man. The Lord told this parable. He was a rich man. And he had all this material stuff. He had all this material gain. And he looked around and he said, 
man, I ain't got enough room to store all this stuff. He said, I got all, all my stuff stacked up into these barns. He said, I got all this stuff out here that I've got to put away. He said, here's what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to tear all my barns down. I'm going to build bigger and better barns. I'm going to put it up in there, and now I'm going to retire. I'm going to take it easy. At that point, I can be indifferent and procrastinate, and nobody can get on to me about it. That was a joke. Of course, it might not be too much of a joke. Maybe some of y'all under conviction about that stuff. But I tell you, I tell you, that old boy got in there. He got in there, and when he started doing that stuff, the Lord looked down, and he said, Thou fool. Thou fool. You're a fool. He said, This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Y'all got plans? You thinking about what you're going to do? What are we going to do for dinner? Lord, have mercy. My stomach's growling a little bit talking about dinner. I, I'm, I'm there with you. But you start making all these plans about what we're going to do when we get out of church today. And you don't know that you're going to make it to the end of this sermon. You just don't know. Do you realize how, how tenderly you would walk if you really took that attitude? Trust me, I know what it's like, man. We get indifferent about that stuff. It's just out of sight, out of mind. You forget that stuff. You ignore that stuff. But you don't know. You say, what, what, what's going on in my heart, brother? It's a false sense of security. It's a false sense of security. Many Southerners, many Southerners, I believe, they think that they're off the hook when it comes to standing at the judgment seat of Christ because they know that there's just quite a bit that they don't understand about the Bible. I'll tell you, man, I love the South. But boy, it bothers me. It bothers me with how satisfied Southerners are about being ignorant of biblical things. It breaks my heart, boy. It bothers me. It makes me a little angry. It makes me a little bit upset that folks will sit in a, in a Baptist church their whole life and know no more having sat there for 30 or 40 years than the day they got saved, and it's okay with them. What's the big deal? That's what we pay a preacher for. Yeah, but don't you understand that the more that you know, the more that you understand about that book that sits in your lap, the more you can do for the Lord. You realize that I'm not, if I stand before the Lord and by the mercy and goodness of God I get something to show for my life, some kind of reward, you realize I, I can't impute that to your account when we get there? I'm not going to be able to take rewards out of my pile and put them in your pile. I, you say, what is that? That's a false sense of security. It'll be okay. It'll be all right. Some folks are satisfied with being spoon-fed, satisfied with no Bible study, satisfied with no prayer. But the Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. That's not a command to just preachers. That's a command to Christians. And let me say last of all, the sins of Southerners, indifference, procrastination, false security, and half-hearted service. I'm going to serve, but you don't put your heart into it. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. But you know what a lot of us do? We set out to do something, and we do it like maybe we cut the grass, unless you're Brother Tommy. We went to eat the other night, and Brother Tommy was out there, and he was picking apart the guy who was cutting the grass at the restaurant where we were. And I thought, dear Lord, I hope Miss Callie puts a blindfolder on him when he comes to the church. 
I got stuff. Man, this place is so messed up as far as cutting grass. He's talking about all this grass growing up through the parking lot. He said, we call that crack weed. Crack weeds. Man, that parking lot out here looks like a field with all the weeds that are growing through the thing. But where was I even going with that? Oh, half-hearted service. Half-hearted service. You know, a lot of folks serve the Lord like that. You know, just do just enough just to get by. Do just enough to get by. Boy, I'm about under conviction with how much y'all are under conviction. I almost feel so bad for putting you. No, I'm just kidding. I don't feel bad about that. I pray the Lord to help you. I really pray the Lord to deal with you about the thing. Half-hearted service. Half-hearted service. I want to do just enough to just make sure that nobody's thinking that I'm backslid. Why? Why? Why, why do it? Why take that attitude? Why not take the attitude that you want to do something and be a blessing to Jesus Christ? Isn't Jesus Christ the one that died for you? Didn't he pay the price for your sin? Why can't you do something for him? Why can't you do something? And listen, if you're doing it for him, you know, it don't matter whether you're the janitor, whether you're cleaning toilets, or whether you're a preacher. One of the most profound things, and a thing that was a great blessing to me when I first started uh, as a Christian, really, I guess, starting to get developed, starting to get established. Brother Mark, I, I rode around with Brother Mark McGahey for two weeks, and we went to a meeting, and on the way to a meeting, Brother Mark, I was sitting in his car with him, and he told me, he said, he said a lot of folks, he said, a lot of Christians look at what I do, and they, they see the glamour side of things. He said, they see that I go and preach all these meetings. He said, but really, he said, what I'm doing is no more important as far as obedience to the Lord. He said, what I'm doing is no more important than the person that's cleaning the toilets in the church. It's necessary. It's needful. I believe with all my heart, I'm not going to preach out of Ephesians 4 this morning. I believe that the work of the ministry is the ministration of the gospel. I believe that with all my heart. But I think it was Brother Spike that dealt with it the other day, talking about you got all this other stuff that's needful. Maybe you can't get up to preach a sermon. You know, if all of y'all was called to preach and all y'all was pastoring, what would y'all be doing here? Why would you need to be here? Yeah. Go get your own church. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's got to be some folks that have to be taught. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay with that, man. I'm, I'm, I understand that everybody's not going to be 100%. The danger comes when you're satisfied with not being 100%. And the danger comes when you're satisfied with not trying to do something for the Lord. You know what a lot of folks look at church as? They look at it as serving the preacher. That's bad. You know what's going to happen when the preacher doesn't recognize you or when the preacher, absent-minded as he is and as crazy as he is, he doesn't recognize your actions? Boy, you're going to get your feelings hurt. Ain't that right? Come on, don't die on me now. You're going to get upset about that thing and you're going to get mad and you're going to get bitter and, well, th I guess this is just not the church for me. When really you could have avoided all that if you'd have been doing it for the Lord to begin with and let God give you the recognition. Let the Lord. I got a little thing back here in my office. I, 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 believe, that, I believe that this would be appropriate for me to close the service with. A lot of folks take it for granted that they're just going to be recognized in this life. They just take it for granted that, hey, you know, what I do is just going to be appreciated by everybody. But the Lord doesn't always do that with folks. A lot of times you're going to labor and nobody is going to seemingly 
recognize what you're doing. But I think it was Brother Spike again, right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's preaching about, you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Indifference, procrastination, false security, half-hearted service. That's service with conditions. I thought I was done, but I'm going to finish this. Service with conditions. I'll serve if. Lord Jesus Christ was born. He came here and he was born. And when he got up to a man's age, he got up to 30 years old, started his ministry. Somewhere around there, maybe 29, 30 years old, he got up to that age. And he said, I'll serve you if. Is that what he said? Then why do we do that? Why do you do that? I'll serve if. Got the wrong attitude. Service with no zeal. Service, that's service because I have to, or service and being distracted. David, when he got ready to pour out all this stuff, he, he got ready to build the temple. The Lord said, nope, you can't build the temple. You're a bloody man. He said, you've got too much war on your hands. You can't build my temple. You boy, Solomon. You know what David did? David went out and he gathered all this material, silver and gold and wood and all this stuff. And he said, you know what I can't build? He said, but I'm going to gather all this stuff together so that when Solomon gets ready, he can just start, bam, ready. And you know what? I read it yesterday in the book. I believe it was in First Chronicles. He said, I have prepared with all my might. With all my might. As hard as I could, the best I could, I did what I could. Let me read this to you. We'll close. If God has called you to be really like Jesus, he'll draw you into a life of crucifixion and humility and put upon you such demands of obedience that you will not be able to follow other people or measure yourself by other Christians. And in many ways, he'll seem to let other people do things which he will not let you do. Why are they getting away with that, Lord? I just worry about you. What shall this man do? What's that to thee? That's what Peter asked about John. Hey, what's, what's this fellow going to do? What's that to thee? Follow me. So you sit around and you look at this other guy and you say, well, he's not doing it. And so then you begin to get cold. Other Christians and ministers who seem to be very religious and useful may push themselves, pull wires, and work schemes to carry out their plans. But you can't do it. And if you attempt it, you'll meet with such failure and rebuke from the Lord as to make you sorely penitent. Others may boast of themselves, of their work, of their successes, of their writings, but the Lord, the Holy Spirit will not allow you to do any such things. And if you begin it, he will lead you into some deep mortification that will make you despise yourself and all your good works. Others may be allowed to succeed in making money or may have a legacy left to them, but it's likely that God will keep you poor <laughs> because he wants you to have something far better than gold, namely a helpless dependence upon him that he may have the privilege of supplying your needs day by day out of an unseen treasury. God said, I just want you to be blessed with the fact of I'm going to rain manna out of heaven to feed you every day. God, I'm tired of this manna. It's the same thing every day. Yeah, but look at where it's coming from. 
The Lord may let others be honored and put forward and keep you hidden in obscurity because he wants, you to, he wants to produce some choice fragrant fruit for his coming glory which can only be produced in the shade. He'll let others be great, but he'll keep you small. He'll let others do a work for him and get the credit for it, but he'll make you work and toil on without knowing how much you're doing. And then to make your work still more precious, he'll let others get the credit for it and thus make your reward ten times greater when Jesus comes. The Holy Spirit will put a strict watch over you with a jealous love. He'll rebuke you for little words and feelings or for wasting your time which most Christians never feel distressed over. So make up your mind that God is an infinitely sovereign being and has a right to do as he pleases with his own. He may not explain to you a thousand things which puzzle your reason in his dealings with you, but if you absolutely sell yourself to be his slave, he'll wrap you up in a jealous love and bestow upon you many blessings which come only to those who are in the inner, inner circle. Why do they get away with that stuff, Lord? Don't worry about it. What about me and you? Indifferent this morning. Maybe you've got a false sense of security. Well, I'm just going to take care of it tomorrow. Or maybe you're serving the Lord, but maybe it's just half-hearted. Why don't you get that thing right with the Lord today? Don't put it off till tomorrow. Don't put it off till tonight. Get right with the Lord today. God, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us this morning. I believe, Lord, that you've done what you wanted to do. And I pray that you deal with hearts this morning. God, pray that you'd speak to us and help us. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us, Lord, to lean on you and to love you. God, I know, Lord, that as we go through life, Lord, things begin to become a routine. And, Lord, we get cold. Lord, that's just people. But, Lord, I pray that you'd help us not to excuse it. God, help us, Lord, not to run over it. God, help us, Lord, to get it right. Lord, thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, God, for being so kind and patient with us. Help us this morning, we pray. Some folks have come. If God spoke to your heart, you come. You come do business with the Lord.